Welcome to the Barnaby Cecil NHS Pensions Podcast. I'm Tom Skinner, Founder and Managing Director of Barnaby Cecil, a financial planning firm working with NHS members in the UK. I'm Emma Walker, also co-founder and main research analyst at Barnaby Cecil. This podcast is designed to address the complexities of the NHS pension scheme and to help members feel clearer about their options before retirement and beyond. Each quarter, we'll record an episode based on the questions you've asked us. If you'd like your question answered, please tweet us at FP or email us at hello at barnabycecil.com. The information in this podcast is intended to be used as a guide only, and nothing that um, I have said should be taken as direct financial advice. Before making any final decision, you should always consult a suitably qualified finance professional. Welcome back. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the new BMA Perry Retirement Pension Modeler that looks closely at the implications for you if you retire before and after the normal pension age in Section 1995. And I'll also talk very briefly about how it differs from professional financial modeling tools, such as our service WealthMap and then summarise by talking about the main points about the new BMA modeler. So in the last week, BMA have produced a new pension modeler free to use available on their website, which you can find if you put Perry Retirement Pension Modeler BMA into Google, it'll bring up the webpage. And this modeler is for anybody aged 59 who is thinking of retiring or the implications if they retire in section 1995. That being the normal retirement date, NRD, within the scheme and the age at which if you access the benefits, there's no actuarial reduction reducing the income that you then receive, receive for life. And the question they raise is, does it pay to stay? So does it pay the individual to remain working, contributing into the 1995 scheme and working as a full-time member of the NHS or fully employed person, I should say. And I suppose the most important thing to consider with any model is what parameters does it operate under? So the model assumes that you're 59 uh, years of age. It also doesn't take into account any annual allowance charges so the figures could in fact be lower if there were if there were an annual allowance charge um, but it also doesn't take into account why there would be an annual allowance charge so if the individual took on a pensionable role that increased significantly year on year it doesn't adjust for that so it assumes that pay has remained static year on year so it would suit somebody who was at the highest consultant pay threshold which would be eight CPT 8 and uh, wasn't also faced with the decision decision whether to take on any additional pensional work towards the end of retirement also. And through this model, BMA are making three points. The first is that high inflation and a very big gap between what the DHCS who recommend pay for everybody in the NHS, what the pay should be for everybody working in in the NHS, they've said that the uh, the level of pay should be one figure and inflation is a much higher number and could be somewhere between 8 to 10%, which is obviously very significantly higher than the pay rise, which for NHS consultants has been recommended as 2%. 
So if you're in retirement, your pension increases by inflation each year, or a measure of inflation, the Consumer Prices Index. And therefore, you get that if you defer membership or you have retired. Whereas your pensionable pay as a member, if that only increases by 2%, plus the actuarial increase of being a member for one year, 180th in the 1995 scheme, means that there's a gap there between the two. And means it could be better to either defer membership or retire. So that's the first point. The second point made by the BMA, and this is the this is the biggest point, is that 1995, Section 1995, doesn't have any late retirement factors, which means if you retire before 60 and retire at 59 or 58 or 57, the actuaries that work for the NHS have assumed that the member will live, let's say, 25 years, and then count back from 60 to adjust that, say, we've had the pension for 26 or 27 or 28 years, and then adjust the pension and the lump lump sum, which the lump sum is just a reduction of the the cash that you receive uh, against the income. But it works as a more straightforward expression of that when you reduce the income on the assumption the person has then had it for longer because they've taken the pension earlier. Section 2008 and Section 2015 address this by working the other way. So if you've taken the income from from um, on the actual assumption for 25 years, but that's now 24 or 23 or 22 or 21, they then increase the level of income that you receive to acknowledge the fact that you've both paid into the scheme for longer, so you would get the uplift of membership by working for one year extra, but also an uplift to the income by paying into the scheme by not pay, by not taking the pension um, at the normal retirement date. So it's been addressed in Section 2008 and Section 2015, but hasn't been addressed in, the, in Section 1995. These issues are not new to the pension. They've ex- exist, they have existed, and the model could have been produced 10 years ago, and it would still have held true. So, for example, in 2012-2013, the... CPI rate for that year was 5.2%. Consultants in that year were awarded a 1% pay rise. So in terms of the difference between what's happening with a 2% pay rise and the 8% assumed uh, estimated inflationary rate used in the model, the, the gap between the two is broadly the same as, as when it was 52 and 1%. Not quite, but the same the, the the principle remains. So these aren't new issues. These are not something that's occurred in this year, and they haven't occurred because of any changes to the scheme. The point remains that in 1995, there's no adjustment for the fact that you didn't receive one year's worth of income at 60 if you didn't take the pension at that point in time. The third and final point they make is that with the taxing of the growth of the scheme, potentially, which on a flat static pay is unlikely. The annual allowance charge is more likely to affect you if you've got growth in your pension will pay. So it's unlikely that anybody who in or less people who are in this bracket of, of 57 to 60 or 61 in the in the example, it's unlikely that they will have a an annual allowance charge, particularly if their income is below the income from all sources above two, is below 200,000 and they're not tapering their annual allowance. But the scheme is still much more expensive for higher earners. So as income, uh, as your income increases, 
as a doctor, the percentage that you pay in your pension uh, goes up also. And that doesn't happen in other um, in other fields in the NHS. It only happens to NHS consultants. And that's because it's not it's not introduced for consultants. It's anybody earning that level of pay. It's simply that that level of pay tends to be, the higher earners tend to be consultants in the NHS, so they're disproportionately affected by this. The good news is that um, it's just re- uh, reduced, so it has now come down from 135 to 9.8% to acknowledge that, but it's still almost double the the first tier to uh, the first tier tier one of um, somebody were earning up to 13,000 in the NHS. To give you the the, uh, the balance to that uh, that point, the NHS consultant contract that uh, came in in 2003 does also have quite steep banding increases in and consultant pay thresholds seven to eight, for example, is 5.8% as an increase on the pay. Other bands in, in other fields within within healthcare do increase, but there isn't the eight levels of increase over 15 years that occur. So yes, consultants are paying more for their pension, but they're also they also receive a contract that does increase by factors that are less so in other fields. But I think it's still an important point to make uh, and a valid point that when you combine the taxation of the lifetime allowance as well, which full-time individuals would probably above the lifetime allowance in any case, so that reduces the the value of one year's extra growth. If there was cumulative annual allowance charges um, and also the, the higher cost of the scheme, all of which in the round make one year's membership post-60 much less efficient. But I think the main, main point here, and it's not a, it's not a, a new point, is simply that there's no adjustment to the pension if the individual doesn't take it at 60. Other factors at play here, might, if, you're, if the individual was thinking of maybe deferring before 60, is whether your trust allows pension recycling. So if it's a case of, well, I'm 59, shall I stay in the scheme or, or shall I come out? The, the inflation rate is obviously a significant factor because that's applied to the pension if you defer as well. But other things to consider are whether the uh, trust are giving you any pension contribution back. So you'll get the the pension contribution that you pay that um, is deducted from your gross pay. You'll get that paid back into your pay and then an income tax deduction will be made against that. So you'll receive that less income tax. Um, but some trusts are also paying all of the employer contribution or a proportion of that. So one trust re- recently was paying 12.5% of that back. And that could influence your decision also. So over the weekend, a client messaged me and said, I think this is the final straw um, on the assumption that this was something new that had happened. And this individual was about 55. Um, and the point I had made to them is that that it's, it's really a way of articulating the issues within the scheme uh, in a way that uh, will help people understand that that issue at 60, but nothing new uh, there's no there's no change to the scheme that's been applied and, and the model will have held 5%. What well, the difference now is that inflation is making that gap between what what the individual will receive in uh, in retirement or, or in deferment versus uh, the difference between the pay across all the bands. So it doesn't so this obviously doesn't include anyone whose increment is coming in. 
to effect in that year. The model also assumes that you take section 2015 with an actuarial reduction um, immediately. And if you had only had one year's membership of the scheme, so you retired at 61 with one year's membership and took the actuarial reduction, that holds true. But it doesn't account for the individual who carries on working and works to perhaps 63, 64, 65, and then waits until 67, which which we've looked at and have seen some quite impressive figures if the individual and some remarkable figures if the individual is prepared to work until 67 because although they miss on the pension payments from the uh, 1995 scheme there's also then the 2015 accrual which doesn't pay tax-free cash is a 154th accrual so it picks up income very quickly and if there's no actual reduction at 67 it is if that is a set of circumstances that is more uh, aligned to how you think you're going to approach retirement, then I'd encourage anybody who doesn't sit within this model of I'm thinking of retiring and returning within the sort of 59-61 bracket to give that some additional consideration and, and maybe model that or get a uh, an NHS independent specialist to look at that for you. Because where this is particularly um, prevalent is where the individual ha- has had a pension sharing order and is looking to work into their 60s of their own choice because their pension isn't sufficient. And therefore, once you get to that 63, 64, 65 figure, this model may not work for that type of individual who's looking to build up income. So what should you do? Well, first of all, definitely play around with the figures on the model. You require only your payslip, your March 2022 payslip. And if it's the old style, you can see a lot of information in that in that payslip, um, and even in the new ones as well, but I'm talking about the old-style paper ones, which will show you your gross and pensionable pay for the year. And you can have a look at your pensionable pay if you have your March 2021 payslip. And if that, in the bottom left-hand corner, which shows you pensionable pay, if that's significantly higher than the figure um, in 2021 uh, two the number in 2022, then that means you're more likely to have an annual allowance charge. That might be something to talk to somebody about. But that will tell you your pension will pay and you can start to put those figures in and play around with the different numbers and see how the figures look for you. And in terms of a wider context, I would encourage anybody to almost reverse engineer and look at the situation without necessarily just the NHS pension perspective but from a, a starting place of what is it that you want to do at 60 or from 60 onwards? Are you somebody who is is looking to retire and return on a different type of contract? Uh, and if it's a different type of contract, what aspect of the contract do you want to remove from your working week, whether it be on call or just to work slightly less on, on what would be the equivalent of a lower PA contract and start negotiating as early as possible? I have seen all manner of contracts negotiated and everything is can be negotiated there are no hard and fast rules in terms of uh, what the trust can and can't do as long as they offer it to everybody and that's often where they'll become slightly nervous because they don't want to set a precedent but i've seen consultants sign non-disclosure agreements because the trust has been so desperate for a particular particular specialty 
to uh, an individual to continue to perform their function. But I think that's the, the key thing that most people aren't aware of, that when you retire and return, you come back usually on a one-year rolling contract, but there are no firm and fast rules in terms of what that contract can and should uh, should look like. So the earlier that you propose or, or begin that discussion, the more options that you've got. And before you resign, because you have to resign your employment to access Section 1995 and then come back on a, on a new contract, that's part of the, the scheme rules. But until you resign, there's no threat to your contract. You can have a, a sort of... Um, a very open conversation as to what life would look like if you did retire and turn and they can't and nobody can use that because of um, various age discrimination rules protecting people as they approach retirement so just simply broaching the subject doesn't cause won't cause any risk to your to your contract or shouldn't legally and be open-minded in terms of what other rules you might consider both within the NHS and the private sector I've had several clients who have retired and uh, either come back on a different NHS role, similar to the one they did before, but some private sector work, um, or entirely private sector. So private sector from employed uh, capacity, so working um, in a management consultancy role in the city, completely different experience, which they really enjoyed. Or if your specialty, your specialty allows it and you have a, a substantial private practice, then you may choose to re- revalidate and then focus on your private work uh, for a set period of time if the work um, offered or, or, the, or the contract that you have been offered if you retire and turn doesn't suit you. So to conclude this section, I would say that for most people, retire and return or retire fully has always looked the most favourable option in section 1995. However, it's always important to look and make sure that you have attained enough money to retire comfortably in the first place. So let's say you've done your maths separate to the NHS pension. You feel you need £4,000 net a month to enjoy retirement comfortably. And retirement returning gives you a pension of £3,000 a month and a better outcome within this model by not working until 61. But in fact, actually 64 and then taking the pension and then and the 1995 scheme at that point and then waiting to access section 2015 at 67 might be the better option for you so if you're going to put some time into this model i would also put some time into your own personal finances and look to see whether actually it's affordable to retire at that age and at that point in time and if it is then it's that it's 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 fine to look at the most optimal strategy to suit that and this model helps as I said before, a set of, individu- set of individuals working full-time uh, and really makes the point that retirement return is likely to be the better option then because of the disconnect between or the gap between the CPI rate, which is used for the uh, the NHS pension, either in deferment or in payment, um, and the pay award to NHS consultants being 2% or the recommended pay being 2%. But the main issue, as I said before, is that it's that you don't get any recognition for the fact that you haven't taken that scheme at 1990, the, the 1995 scheme at 60, um, and that's one year less in payment for a marginal increase uh, of income for one year's membership. So this is the, the BMA model, and I'll just talk now briefly about how it differs from our model. So our financial planning service and, and model is model tools uh, are called WealthMap. 
And whilst we can include uh, a greater range of scenarios than is available in this model, for example, what if I retire at 62 or 64, or what is my pension at 67 in the uh, the 2015 scheme? What if I apply for uh, a national award? Um, what if I apply? What if I drop two PAs at 58? Which I would encourage everyone to look at. Um, most people are quite surprised by 56, 58. If they drop um, PAs, how little it affects their 1995 scheme, because the 1995 scheme is based on whole time equivalent. So if you're earning £100,000 and you drop two PAs, they still use the £100,000 as the base figure to calculate your pension. What you'll lose is days, years accrued. So if you've got uh, added years, then that can reduce the impact of the the PAs that the time that you've that you've lost by reducing the PA contracts because you still continue to honour that contract at the same rate. And of course, now that we've entered the 2015 scheme, that's a scheme in which the bulk of uh, or, or the bulk of your pension is built up in the 1995 scheme. And if that's a scheme in which you're going to take an actual reduction at 60, then dropping um, PAs in that scheme now that you're quite close to retirement and 95% of your benefits are built up in the 1925 scheme, in any case, will have only a marginal impact on, on the pension that, or the, the proportion of your pension that uh, is not going to, to make that much of a difference. But I think most significantly is that our model allows us to run not only two NHS pension strategies alongside each other for clients to consider how the two incomes are coming online at different times, but also to combine multiple strategies with, for example, a house purchase, cost of a child's wedding, the use of pension, an ISA income with a variable strategy. So if you've got your NHS income guaranteed, what income can you take from other sources and for how long? You can then taper and tailor that to have an income strategy where maybe you spend 30% more in your 60s and then run it down so that you're left with a, a... a particular capital left at 90 and what's it come becoming increasingly popular now because of the inheritance tax benefits of doing it is people are beginning to model equity release much further in their lives so they maybe model equity release at 80 which is quite an efficient product to use at that time because the banks base it on the lending and the life expectancy of the individual and then that individual might then choose to give that money away or spend it or spend money in an accelerated fashion down to that point, knowing that they've always got that as a backstop to, to draw down on. Um, and particularly where there's no, perhaps there's no dependence or if there's a strategy to gift money up until that point um, and have that as a backstop to rely on. So the point being is that our model can include not just one NHS pension, but multiple strategies within that NHS pension and other strategies and other pensions so if your uh, partner or you're married to somebody that isn't in the nhs and also if if you've if you've got differing uh, ages or points at which you wish to retire the model can include all this data um, and show you the sequence of events and how the how the incomes all interact with each other overall to summarize i think the bma tool is fantastic power to the people it supports a narrow range of individuals but hopes hopefully will help them to give them the confidence that the decision that they're making is the right one for them. And it emphasizes a point that's always existed within Section 1995 that when you, if you don't take the scheme at 60 
um, and there's not much else happening in your pensionable pay, you're not taking on a significant role um, after that point um, on your and you're on the highest consultant pay threshold, then it's likely that uh, that, that that could be a, a better option for you. And it's the it's a, it's always existed this issue, but it's been accentuated by high inflation and a subinflationary pay awarded to uh, to all NHS members. Hopefully, that through the pressure of the BMA and voices like Dr. Goldstone, the the government realizes that um, this is not an effective way of of uh, incentivizing people who may wish to work. Um, into their 60s or work to, into their 60s in a, in a different capacity or and um, want from the government and the public's perspective to retain these these skilled individuals and if the pension can be altered to increase and have the age-related factors that the 2008 and, and 2015 scheme have so that it, it doesn't cost money if the individual stays uh, then that would be a fantastic outcome. So hopefully there'll be some political pressure now to adjust this. But if there isn't, it doesn't, as you can see, in a very fairly narrow range of circumstances, it looks um, and has always been the way that um, it doesn't pay to, to hang around. But there can be a range of reasons why that might not suit you. Either you're below 50, your your age is, is, is under 57, or there are other factors at play, such as things like a pension shedding or in the past, so it might not suit you on that basis, or you're already part-time going into these numbers. Um, so seek guidance, seek advice um, if your circumstances don't quite fit the model in itself. Thanks for listening in, and I'll talk to you again soon. That's it for this month. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you could spare a few moments to rate, review, or like us, because this helps us get found by more people. And please send us your questions for the next episode by tweeting us at FP or emailing us at hello at barnabycecil.com. You can also find out more about us by going to barnabycecil.com. And here you can also book a call if you'd like to discuss your own particular question in more detail. Thanks for listening.